Hello, this is Pastor Philip Hoppe from Peace Lutheran Church in Finlayson, Minnesota and St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Bruno. We're happy to provide you with this digital media. Such media is intended for those who are not able to be in church and for those who might have missed a week, or for those who wish to hear something a second time or are just using it for further edification. However, it is not meant to be a substitute for gathering to God with his people around Jesus each Sunday. Enjoy this media and we'll see you in church on Sunday. The text that calls for our attention this Lord's Day is our gospel reading for today from Mark chapter 9, and especially these words. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse. So the most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We know that God brings life. It's one of the central teachings of the Bible. But we might ask today, how? How does God bring life? Well, the boy in our gospel reading for today certainly needed life. Oh, I mean, he was alive in one sense, but hardly in any sort of normal way. He was possessed by a demon. He could not speak or hear. The demon often tossed him about, threw him down, and left him lying rigid on the ground. It had tried to kill him by throwing him into the hot fire or into the deep water. Yes, that boy needed life. And that boy's father knew that to be the case, and so he brought him to Jesus' disciples. When they were unable to bring life to the boy, well, surely the father almost gave up. But thankfully, in the midst of a conversation, that man and his boy were brought to Jesus. Jesus said that he should be brought to him. Jesus and that man had some talking to do first about belief and what could happen if one believed, but then Jesus did his miraculous work. He cast out that demon and told it never to return again. The evil spirit, we're told, cried out, convulsed the boy violently and then left him lying lifeless on the ground. The onlookers thought that Jesus, through his word, had actually killed the boy. They said, he is dead. But no, this was not God bringing death, but instead it was the first part of how God would bring forth life. Yes, it's always how God brings life. He kills and then he makes alive. That lifeless boy was then raised by Jesus. Jesus reached down and grabbed his hand and he was raised up. He was given a new life. A life so much better than he could have even hoped for just moments before. But that is always how God gives life. He kills and then he makes alive. Truth be told, that boy was not the only one who experienced God's ways in our gospel reading. The disciples of Jesus, too, were shown to be lifeless 
only later to be revived. They had been given authority by Jesus early in their life to go out and to cast out demons. And we're told earlier in the Gospel of Mark that they had done this successfully. But here in our text, it didn't go that way. They were not able to remove this demon from this boy. Why? Well, it seems that they had forgotten where the power to cast out demons truly lay. Perhaps they began to trust their own ability rather than simply resting in the all-powerful God and his ability. But Jesus made it clear. They could not do it alone. They needed faith. They needed prayer. They needed God himself if such a work was to be done. Jesus made this all very clear right in the midst of the whole crowd that had gathered. Yes, Jesus bemoaned the lack of faith among his disciples right there in front of those who wanted to detract from everything they were doing. It must have been quite a humbling experience for those disciples to be called out for their lack of faith, to have their very fitness for the ministry that they had been called to called into question right there in front of their enemies. But yes, that is exactly what Jesus did. He killed them through those words by asking them how faithless they were by how long he would have to put up with such faithlessness. Yes, he would kill them, but he would not leave them dead. No, instead, at the end, he would call them to prayer. He would call them to prayer knowing that they would receive there the forgiveness and renewal they needed. That there they would be restored back to that ministry and the work which God had set apart for them to do. He killed them, then he made them alive. The father of that possessed boy, well, he went through the same thing with God that day, a killing and a making alive. By the time he came to Jesus, indeed, his mind was so filled with doubt. He must have heard somewhere that the disciples of Jesus perhaps could take this demon out of his boy, but when they could not do it, he lost hope. When he got before Jesus, all he could muster to say was something like this, if you can do anything, please help. Not exactly a statement of bold faith or confidence. But Jesus, well, he killed that father with just three words in English, his own three words. He said back to him, if you can, yes, he pointed out to him, that he was standing there before the most powerful person to ever be in the flesh, and all he could say was, if you can. Yes, Jesus killed him with those words. But then he raised him up. He told him that if anyone would place his belief in Jesus, well then, anything would be possible for him. And we are told that that word of Christ raised up that man to humble faith that said, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. And that kind of humble faith before Jesus, well, that is life indeed. 
So do you understand how it is that God brings forth life? He does it through his word, which both tears down and then lifts up. He does it through his truth, that in one moment can leave one lying lifeless, and in the next moment have them back up on their feet. He kills and he makes alive. And if you want God's life in you, well then you should expect him to work that same way in your life as well. Now of course, none of us likes that first work that God does. None of us likes being brought low. No, like all discipline at the time, it seems like the discipliner is being too harsh and that he surely doesn't love us. But in the end, that is how God begins his work of bringing forth life. Yes, it never feels good to be humbled by another. But God tells us that this is simply essential if we want to have his life in us. And so, yes, time and time again in our life, the word of God comes and it cuts us down. What you call ambition, God calls greed. What you call a passing glance, God calls lust. What you call your great wit, God calls deception. That thing that you're obsessed with, God calls it idolatry. Your modern spirituality, he simply calls it neglecting the Sabbath. Yes, your way of demanding that your rights be respected, God calls that pride. Yes, he does all of these things, and when he does it, it kills you. He kills you through his word. He reveals the death of sin that is lurking in your life. He leaves you there lying spiritually dead. But if you do not avoid that work, if you do not run away from his word and his church, well then this is only the first part of God's work. It's not the end. The end for God is never death. No, there is another word which comes, which is more than powerful enough to raise you back up out of death. You see, your greed and your lust and your deception, your idolatry, your neglecting of the Sabbath and your pride, all of that is taken and it's nailed to the cross with Jesus. The punishment that should fall upon you falls upon Christ instead. And since you have been connected to his atoning death, well then, you will also be connected to his resurrection as well. Your greed, well, it is buried and generosity is brought forth to life. Your lust, it is killed, and loyalty to your spouse lives instead. Your deception is done, and truth becomes your way of life. Your idolatry is put out of its misery, and devotion to God is born. Your neglect of the Sabbath dies, and love of God's word comes forth instead. Your pride is reborn as humility. All of this because the God of our fathers, the God that is the one who sent forth Jesus, wishes to bring us life, both now and for all eternity. Yes, this is always how God brings life. He kills and then he makes alive. But you should know this already. 
After all, it's what happened to you at the beginning of your life with Christ. First, your old sinful self was drowned in those waters of baptism. Then, just moments later, you were raised up by the Spirit to be a new creation before God. It's what will happen to you at the end of your life. You'll be placed into the ground, and yet on the last day, you'll be raised up. And you should know this is how God works already, because of course it's what happened to Jesus as well. Because he bore your sin and mine, he too experienced how God brings about new life. Through an excruciating death and then an exhilarating resurrection, Jesus was given new life. And that new life he shares with you, he gives it to you as your own. Today, here already, you have confessed your death. You have admitted before God that you have sinned against him in thought, word, and deed. By what you have done and by what you have left undone. And now, God desires to raise you up. He desires to raise you up by feeding to you the very body and blood of his life-giving son, Jesus. And that's how God brings life. By killing and raising up. He kills us by revealing our sins time and time again. But then he raises us up by revealing to us our Savior time and time again. That's how God brings life. And that's why you leave here today with his life fully being yours. May God indeed do this good work in us today and always. Amen.